Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. I hate clothes shopping. But Sue makes me do it several times a year. You know, she'll take me to a clothing store and she'll help me pick stuff out and then she'll stand outside the dressing room handing things in one at a time and then she pays for it all with her 30% off Kohl's coupon. (laughs) But in spite of the fact that I detest clothes shopping, there is one apparel store that I really like. Uh, You may have visited it before. It's at... uh, prominently at airports. It's called Life is Good. Ever been to a Life is Good store? Yeah, they got tees and they got ball caps and they got hoodies that have pictures and slogans on them that kind of bring a smile to your face. Okay, like they'll have a a picture of of a sunset or an ice cream cone or uh, a palm tree, a beer mug, uh, you know, a dog, people canoeing, whatever. They'll, They'll have slogans on it like, be the person your dog thinks you are. I like that one. Or, or I haven't been everywhere, but it's on my list, <laughs> all right? Or, or, you know, one of my favorites is it's just a picture of a hammer on a T-shirt, and at the bottom it says, this is not a drill. <laughs> Some of you got it. Some of you are confused, but uh, this is not a drill. Now, As much as I enjoy browsing at a Life is Good store, I've never bought any of their apparel. See, on the one hand, I really like their upbeat attitude about life, but on the other hand, it feels a little bit like false advertising to me. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes life is not good. Sometimes life is frustrating. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's depressing. Sometimes it's painful. You know, sometimes life is just plain awful. I would imagine if we took a survey across our four campuses and people watching online right now and we we asked the question, how's life going for you? There would be a a large group of people who would say life is good. And there would be another group of people who would say, you know, currently life is just plain awful. So welcome to week two of a four-part series in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that we're calling The Chase. Uh, Ecclesiastes has a reputation for being a cynical, negative, glass half empty, why is this book in the Bible to begin with sort of, you know, sort of read. And it's because people don't understand that the writer, many scholars believe is King Solomon, the, the writer is just being honest. He just, just has the nerve to say, sometimes life isn't great, sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life stinks. So, so what do we do when we're going through one of those life stinks periods? Well, here, here's what Solomon, King Solomon, tells us to do. He tells us to trust God. To trust God. And there are three aspects of trusting God that we're going to consider today. We're going to study through three chapters, chapters 3, 4, and 5 of Ecclesiastes. So if you brought a Bible, I would encourage you, go looking for Ecclesiastes. You'll find it shortly after the book of Psalms in your Old Testament. And uh, around here, uh, we have a goal of making people into Bible readers, daily Bible readers. So we've put together a daily Bible reading schedule called the Bible Savvy Schedule. And this week, if you're following the schedule, this week it'll take you through Ecclesiastes 1 through 8. 
Okay, so you're gonna get a big chunk of Ecclesiastes, that's why we're doing this series, to encourage your reading of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of that schedule yet, you know, it's just a little bit of reading every day and eventually takes you through the entire Bible. You could pick up a copy at Resource, that's the bookshop at each of our campuses, and it comes in a journal, spiral-bound journal, a Bible-savvy journal, uh, or you could just download our phone app, the CCC phone app, and you'll have a Bible-savvy journal on that app. So, number one, if you haven't taken your outline out, I encourage you to, to fill it in as we go, because if you're not in a life is stink moment right now, life stinks, it, there's one right around the corner. So what do you do? How do you trust God when life is just plain awful? Well, the first aspect we're going to look at today, number one, is that God is in control. God is in control. Now, I'd like to read to you the opening verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So you'll see the words on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, follow along as I read. Solomon says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. Back in the 1960s, a uh, songwriter by the name of Pete Seeger, he put the lyrics, the, the words of Ecclesiastes 3 to a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. And then a few years later, a group, a folk rock group, group by the name of The Birds, uh, they sang it, it rose to the top of the billboard chart, became number one for a series of weeks. Now, I was not old enough to appreciate the song at the time, but I'd, I'd like to give you a listen to Ecclesiastes 3, set to music by the birds. Take a look. To everything Cool song, huh? I got hair envy just watching <laughs> that, that whole thing. The, the one dude didn't know the lyrics, though. So what is the point of those lyrics which come you know, right out of Ecclesiastes 3? The point is that God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything. Look again at verse 1. Solomon says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, if you have an NIV study Bible, 
That's the kind of Bible I'm always encouraging you to purchase. It costs a little bit of money, but it's got footnotes at the bottom of every page of the Bible that explain the difficult-to-understand verses. So if you've got an NIV study Bible, here's what the footnote says about chapter 3, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. It says, humans have little or no control over times and changes. The eternal God sovereignly determines all of life's activities. The eternal God sovereignly determines all of life's activities. So what does God control? Call it out. Everything, everything. And Solomon underscores this point with a long list of polar opposites. Polar opposites. So the first one, the beginning of the list, is found in verse 2. He says there's a, there's a time to be born. So we'll put birth up here. And there is a time to die. We'll put death down here. Bible scholars say that these, these polar opposites is Solomon's way of poetically saying that God is in control of the extremes of our lives and everything in between. So what's in between a person's birth and a person's death? Yeah, their life, their entire life. Cradle to grave, God is in control of everybody's entire life. And then Solomon continues with this long list of other polar opposites. Again, his way of poetically saying God controls the extremes and God controls everything in between. One Bible scholar, he writes about this passage, for all the affairs of life, for all the affairs of life, God has set a time the length of time and particular events along that time band are each ordained in the providence of God. Now, this should be a comforting thought to every one of us, to know that God is in control of my life. God is in control of my circumstances. God is in control of my decisions. God is in control of my relationships. That, that should give us a certain amount of confidence and, 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 and security. Let me give you a real practical example, personal example of how this works out. Uh, when my son Andrew was in grade school, he loved soccer. And so he played on a uh, park district soccer team. And when he got a little bit older, he was encouraged to join a traveling soccer team. So we looked into it and we discovered that the traveling team played a lot of tournaments out of town on weekends, which would mean Andrew would miss church. And so it was a case of, well, you know, as we wrestled with it, play soccer, Worship God, play soccer, worship God. Now, God won. And so we, we decided, well, we, you know, we just can't do this traveling soccer thing if it means you, know, you have to forfeit opportunities on the weekends to, to worship God. And when we made that decision, oh, the pushback we got from the coach and other kids' parents saying, you know, if you cheat your son of the opportunity to play on this traveling soccer team, then when he gets to high school, he's never going to make the varsity team because all those boys who grew up playing traveling soccer are going to make the team. Andrew's going to be left out. Well, we stuck to our guns, and we stuck to our guns because we believed, listen, we believed that God was in control of Andrew's life, soccer included. By the way, when he got to high school, he was playing varsity soccer by the end of his sophomore season, played through junior year and senior year, and because God was in control. 
God was in control. This is such an important lesson for us to learn, friends, that God is in control of our lives. I know some of you are thinking, well, what if he hadn't made the team because he hadn't played traveling soccer? Well, you know what? Then God would would have been in control of that outcome as well. God is in control of our lives. The, The missed opportunity to play traveling soccer is not in control of your life. God is. The the stock market is not in control of your life. God is. The latest biopsy report is not in control of your life. God is. The acceptance or rejection of friends at school is not in control of your life. God is. The, The midterm elections, which are just around the corner, are not in control of your life, friends. God is. The opportunities or lack of opportunities for promotion at work are not in control of your life. God is. The prospects on eHarmony are not in control of your life. God is. I want you to say this with me. God is in control of my life. Let's say it. God is in control of my life. Okay, now say it like you mean it. God is in control of my life. And I hope you believe that Because number two, sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I want you to drop down to verse 16. So Solomon opens this chapter by describing with 14 polar opposites that God is in control of extremes and everything in between. Now look what he says in verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Now, did you see one of Ecclesiastes' three repeating expressions pop up in this verse? You know, last week we learned that Solomon uses three terms, three key terms again and again and again in this book, and one of the phrases is under the sun. You see that in verse 16, under the sun, 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's talking about life in the here and now. And what does Solomon say about life in the here and now in verse 16? He says, it's not fair. It's not fair. Instead of justice, we often run into wickedness. People treat us unfairly. And I'll bet you've you've experienced this in your own life. You know, maybe your boss promised you a raise or a promotion, but you've never seen it. Maybe you've been the victim of a sexual assault that we're hearing a lot about these days, but the the perpetrator has never been brought to justice, still out there doing his thing. Maybe another student cheated on this week's history test and aced it uh, while you kept your eyes on your own paper and you got a B-. minus. Maybe you paid good money for something only to discover that its flaws had been hidden from you until you paid. Maybe you've experienced discrimination because of your race or your gender or because you're a Christ follower. Maybe your baseball team was tied for the best record in the regular season in the National League and then was eliminated by one stinking wild card game. Just saying. Okay. Injustice. So how can we say that God is in control when we're getting ripped off or abused? And not only that, when the bad guys are getting away with it. Here's a second scenario. 
in which it doesn't seem like God is in control. Drop down to verse 19, 19 of chapter 3. He says, surely the fate of, humans be- of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. This is another one of those three repeating expressions, meaningless. In fact, this is, this is the key term in Ecclesiastes. Pops up 39 times, meaningless. And what does Solomon say in this verse is meaningless? The death of humans. We die just like animals die. And we're supposed to believe that God is in control of our lives? You know, when a guy gets lung cancer who has never smoked a day in his life? When a good friend is killed by a drunk driver? When a nine-month pregnancy culminates in a stillborn baby? When a dying parent is leaving behind preschoolers? When a troubled teen gets so distressed they take their own life, God is in control? And then what about just severe injuries and chronic illnesses that, that you know, they don't take you all the way to the point of death, but they incapacitate you? God is in control of all this? You know, Kate Clark young mom was taking her son to school, grade school, one day. And they arrived early and the kids were playing on the playground, so she decided to hang for a few, few minutes and play a game of tag. And as she was running by the jungle gym, a little boy jumped off, landed on her head. She was knocked to the ground and found she couldn't move. She was paralyzed. You know, the doctors told her that serious injury had been done to her spinal column, that she would never walk again. Now, Kate's story has a miracle ending. Kate is a healed quadriplegic, which is kind of an oxymoron because most quadriplegics are never healed. But I read her autobiography this summer, a book called Where I End. And in the opening pages of her book, Kate writes, although this tale has a good end, I must warn you, it is by no means a fairy tale ending, which is simply to say that this story is real. For in fairy tales, the girl always finds her true love, good defeats evil, and everyone is happy. But I have not found such wide-eyed optimism to be the substance of our lives. In this life on earth, she's talking about life under the sun, in this life on earth, sadly, the girl does not always find her true love. Evil capriciously swallows men, women, and children in its path. And on this side of heaven... Life under the sun, a shadow looms over even the brightest of our joys. Sounds to me like Kate's been reading Ecclesiastes. You know, Solomon says that sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control. You got injustice, you got death and serious sickness or injury. Here's a third category of seemingly out of control activity oppression. Oppression. We're going to move on from Ecclesiastes 3 to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Look at the opening verses of Ecclesiastes 4. Solomon says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. They have no comforter. Oppressors. Oppressors are people who make life miserable for others. Maybe you've been on the receiving end 
of oppression, not necessarily severe oppression, but there's a good chance that you've had to put up with somebody who did their best to give you hell. A verbally abusive parent, a vindictive ex-spouse, a lawsuit-crazy adversary, a Christian-bashing schoolteacher. So why didn't God step in and rescue you from oppression if he's in control of your life? One final example of God's apparent lack of control, loneliness. We're still in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, drop down to verses 7 and 8. Solomon says again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Two expressions there. There was a man all alone, all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Now stop there. Solomon continues. We don't have the time to read it, but he spends several verses describing what it's like to be lonely. You'll read it this week as you go through Ecclesiastes. Loneliness. It comes in all shapes and colors, doesn't it? You've got the young child on the playground with nobody playing with them. You've got the middle school or the high school student who, who doesn't fit into anybody's clique. You've got the young single who's sitting in their apartment or their, their, their dorm room or their, their, their parents' home alone on a Friday night because there's nobody to hang with. You've got the mom of preschoolers who hasn't had an adult conversation in a month and a half. You, you, you've got the Christ follower at work who's the only Christ follower he knows at work. You've got the senior citizen who sits in the retirement community hoping for a call or, or a visit. If God is in control, then why doesn't God move some companions in the direction of these lonely people? How hard could that be for God? You know, no wonder Solomon concludes, sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control. Injustice, Death and sickness, oppression, loneliness. Solomon could probably cite additional examples, and so could you, right? Makes it difficult to trust God. You see now why this book gets a reputation for being cynical and negative and glass half empty. So what should we do? What should we do? Here's number three. Fear God and enjoy the ride. Fear God and enjoy the ride. Go back to Ecclesiastes. We're going to move on to chapter 5. Look at what Solomon says in the opening verses of chapter 5. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. Stop there. One of, one of the Bible study tips I've given you is look for repeating words or ideas. You see that in these two verses. He says, listen. He says, don't be quick with your mouth. He says, don't be hasty to utter anything. He says, let your words be few. One Bible scholar writes about these verses. He says, we must watch our mouths. We must watch our mouths when we contemplate such obstacles to faith and enigmas as life produces. It's good advice. When we run into situations where it doesn't seem like God is in control, Solomon advises us to keep our mouths shut. 
Now, what might, what might come out of our mouths if we fail to heed Solomon's advice? Several things come to mind. First, slander against God. Slander again. Now, the Bible says it's okay to complain about life situations. The, the Bible calls this lament. And the Psalms in the Old Testament are full of lament. It's okay to complain and to cry out and say, what's going on? But we got to be careful that the lament doesn't become an accusation against God, a slander of God's character, character assassination. Uh, Ted Williams Hall of Fame baseball player. He had a reputation notorious for ranting against God, which was ironic because Ted Williams didn't even believe in God, didn't believe that God existed. He was, uh, he was a guy with rough edges to his life. He was a, a brawler. He was a heavy drinker. He was a womanizer. He went through three divorces. But there was a soft spot in Ted's heart for hurting people. Like, like little Donnie Nickel, 12-year-old boy who had an appendix burst. This is 1939, so there's no penicillin. He's in the hospital, his life, you know, on the brink. And Ted Williams came to visit him day after day after, even on days with ball games. Promised to hit Donnie a home run, which he did. And so Ted would, would rage against God. How could you do this to little Donnie? How come you don't care as much about Donnie as I, Ted Williams, do? His, his biographer, Ted Williams' biographer, asks the question, how do you spend so much time cussing and damning a someone who doesn't exist? Again, the irony here. Doesn't believe God, God exists, but he's cussing him out. Sol Solomon would have told Ted, you know, when it seems like God is not in control, keep your mouth shut. Don't go launching slanderous verbal missiles against God. The second thing that Solomon would, would advise us to shut up about would be bargaining with God. You know, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, the, the tendency is to, is to make a deal with God. You know, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. God, okay, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. And we make all sorts of, of promises that we then fail to keep. Look at what Solomon says about that in chapter 5. Chapter 5 Last line of verse 3, he says, many words mark the speech of a fool. Okay, don't, don't use many words. When you make a vow to God, a promise to God, don't delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow, better to keep your mouth shut, than to make one and not fulfill it. I was uh, thinking, as I read that, I was thinking about an old Burt Reynolds movie. Can't remember the name of the movie, don't remember the storyline of the movie, but there's one funny scene in it that I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, Burt plays the role of a guy who's deeply troubled about life, and so he decides he's going to end it all. And he goes out on, onto a beach, and he starts swimming out in, into the ocean. His plan is to swim, 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 till he can swim no longer, and he's exhausted and just sinks to the bottom of the ocean, ends it all. So he swims, swims, swims. He gets like several hundred yards out into the ocean and he changes his mind. He suddenly decides he doesn't, doesn't want to die. He wants to live. So he turns around and he starts swimming back toward shore, but he realizes he's exhausted. He's never going to make it. So he cries out to God, help me. 
And he makes God all sorts of promises. I don't remember the exact language of the movie at this part. I just remember him saying stuff like, you know, if, if you get me back to the shore, I'll go to church every week. I'll give half my income to the poor. I'll stop drinking. You know, but the funny part is, is that he gets closer and closer to shore. He begins to reduce his promises. You know, and as suddenly as he's, you know, he's like he's going to make it, it's I'll go to church on Christmas and Easter. You know, I'll give 20 bucks to the poor. I'll only drink on weekends. Yeah. And we, we all do that, right? We bargain with God when we get into situations like that. Solomon says, when life is out of control, don't bargain with God. Don't, don't make promises that you probably won't keep once God gets you out of trouble. The third thing that Solomon would advise us to shut up about would be advice for God. You know, sometimes it appears that God just needs some help. It needs a little direction. So we tend to lecture God, to tell God what he should do when it seems like life is out of control. You should be doing this, God. You should be doing that. Uh, Kate Clark, the young mom who got jumped on at the playground and ended up a quadriplegic for a number of months, she writes this in her autobiography. She says, in the recesses of our hearts, we all think we're a little wiser, a little more compassionate, a measure more loving than God. We think, yeah, if I were God, I would not have allowed that to happen. If I were God, I would have rescued those people. And if God is kind and good, he would give to me what he's given to my far less deserving neighbors. We surreptitiously intimate that we are benevolent givers while he is miserly. So what she's saying, she's saying, you know, sometimes it appears that God just needs a little bit of coaching from us. Solomon says, don't go there. Don't go there. Where should we go? We'll look again at the opening line of Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. When you go to the house of God, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Solomon recommends that we, we regularly go to the house of God, that we, that we go to church. And he says we should go to listen. We should go to listen to the words of the worship songs that are being sung that are filled with good theology and awesome thoughts about God. We, we should go to listen on a, a regular basis so as to hear the teaching from God's holy word. We should go to listen to rub elbows with other worshipers and hear what God is doing in their lives. You know, we, weekly church services like the one you're, you're sitting in right now play an essential role in our lives because they correct the, the distorted view we get of God all week long when it seems like everything's out of control. The weekly worship gatherings restore a proper perspective. They remind us, as you've been reminded today, during our worship time and the baptisms and the teaching of God's word, that God is in control, that God is large and in charge. And because of that, he deserves your trust and your obedience, your worship, your reverence. Now, the Bible has an expression you know, to describe this healthy view of God, it's called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Look at how Solomon closes the opening section of Ecclesiastes 5. You know, we, we've been going through the first half dozen verses, and after he tells us to go to church and, and listen, 
so that we'll get a renewed perspective of God, he concludes this paragraph. Look at the last line of verse 7. He says, therefore, here's his conclusion. Therefore, what? Call it out. Fear God. Fear. This is another one of those repeated themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. So as you're reading through Ecclesiastes this week and next, keep your pen handy or your highlighter as you're, you're working on your, your, your pad there and highlight everything that, that speaks of the fear of God. Solomon tells us again and again that if we're to sur- survive in a world where bad stuff happens, then we need a trusting, obedient, worshipful, reverential fear of God. Fearing God is what allows us to relax when life hits the fan. Fearing God is what allows us to relax when life hits the fan. Why is that? Well, Because when you fear God, you know, when you park on this awesome view of, of God, it becomes apparent that everything's under control. He's got it. We, we can even enjoy the bumpy ride because we're convinced. We're convinced that God is at the steering wheel. Last week we learned that the capacity to enjoy life is a gift from God. Remember that? Well, that same theme is reported, is repeated in the, in the chapters that we're looking at today, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, and 5. When we go through tough times, we don't have to be constantly wringing our hands or stressing out or losing sleep. We can actually, Solomon says, enjoy the ride. We can even expect, now listen to this, we, we, we can even expect bright moments in the midst of our gloom. Go back to Ecclesiastes 3. That's the chapter we started with today. Drop down to verses 12 and 13. Solomon says, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So how do you be happy? How do you find satisfaction when it seems like everything is out of control? Solomon says, this is the gift of God. You get close to God. Flip ahead to chapter 5, the chapter we're concluding with today. Drop down to verse 19. He says, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, see, that comes from God, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. Where does the capacity to enjoy life, even when the ride is jumpy, is bumpy, where does it come from? It comes from God. This is why Solomon says, fear God, reverence God, worship God regularly, walk in obedience to God's word. As you fear God, you'll enjoy the ride, even the difficult parts of the ride. You know, I have a, a good friend named Lon. Uh, Lon went to the doctor a year ago this time. Yeah, pretty healthy guy, a runner, good shape. And uh, he did his annual, his annual thing with the doctor. And the doctor said, you know, the, the blood test came back with some funky results. I don't think it's anything, but we need to look into it. So turns out that Lon has a very serious, in fact, a, a deadly, untreatable form of cancer, very rare. And the doctor gave him three months to live. Now he's stretched it out. He's been here for a year. Uh, several weeks ago, I had breakfast with him. I said, Lon, how you doing? 
And he says, you know, it's amazing. In the midst of my cancer, I have this remarkably enhanced view of life. I said, what? And he goes, really, this autumn? He said, I'm a nature guy to begin with, but this autumn, the reds have been redder, the blues have been bluer. He said, I, I, I love the smell of freshly mown grass. I love to hear the birds in the trees like never before. I love people, he said. And just you know, coming alongside of people, I'm, I'm listening. I'm more of a listener. I want to hear what's going on in their lives. I appreciate people more deeply. I love to look into the face of my little grandkids. See, Lon loves God, fears God, walks in obedience to God, reverences God. And so, so he's discovering something amazing, even in this bumpy ride. He's, he's enjoying aspects of the ride, serendipitous moments where the light breaks through the darkness. You know, maybe you're going through difficult circumstances. Solomon would say, fear God, get close to God, reverence God, walk in his word, don't miss a worship gathering. And you may just enjoy parts of the ride. One of the guys on my staff, he was asking me this week, so what are you teaching about from Ecclesiastes this weekend? And I recapped the sermon for him. I said, well, you know, God is in control. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in control. But if we'll fear God, if we'll reverence him, if we'll get close to God, if we'll worship him, if we'll spend time in his word, then his Holy Spirit will be so close to us that even when we're we're, we're white-knuckling it, there will be aspects of that, of that difficult time that are adventuresome, that are, that are joyful even. And my, my staff buddy said to me, I just came across a picture on the internet that sums up everything you just said. So in closing, here's the picture that sums up everything we just said in Ecclesiastes today. Take a look. You got to love it, don't you? I wish we had a copy of that to pass out to every one of you on your, your way out. The Holy Spirit is enjoying the ride, the roller coaster. You, you're scared stiff. It's a difficult time. But there's an aspect of the ride that is exciting. There's a sense that God's right next to me in this, that I can make it. There are those moments when the, clou- when the clouds part and the sun shines through. That's my prayer for you. By the way, as you read Ecclesiastes, I want to recommend two books for you. Uh, whenever we teach through a book of the Bible, we like to recommend a commentary or something that will help you understand that book of the Bible. And two of the books that I found helpful in preparing the sermons for this series, one is called Breaking the Idols of Your Heart, Breaking the Idols of Your Heart. And it's all about stuff we talked about last weekend. If you missed last weekend, by the way, that's the backdrop to Ecclesiastes. Go back and listen to the sermon you you missed. That's foundational to understanding this book. It was all about chasing the wrong things in our lives. That's what this book, Breaking the Idols of Your Heart, is all about from Ecclesiastes. The other book is called Living Life Backward. And uh, we're going to talk about this in two weeks as we conclude the series. That you begin with the end in mind, and then when you know what the desired outcome is, then you live your life accordingly. So both of those books are available at Resource, our bookshop, and you could pick one up after the service if you want to read a book alongside of reading through Ecclesiastes. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing a worship song together.
Fear God and enjoy the ride. You, you, you can't begin to fear God until the moment you surrender your life to Christ. My friend Lon, that's what he had done years ago. There, there needs to come a time in your life, like what happened in the lives of the people who got baptized today at your campus, when you bow your knee before God and you say, I'm sinful and separated from you because you're a perfectly holy God. And you need to acknowledge before God that that separation results in death because God's the giver of life. To be separate from God because of your sins is death. And you need to tell God, God, spiritually speaking, I'm dead. But I want to be made alive. Now God sent his son Jesus to take the death you deserve on the cross. His life as the Son of God was of infinite worth, so his sacrifice applies to everyone who's willing to surrender their life to him. If you'll tell him right now, I want to surrender to Jesus, he'll forgive your sins and give you new life. Tell him that you want Jesus to become the Savior, the King, the leader of your life. Tell him that from your heart right now. This is the beginning of the fear of God, walking in reverence of God. Surrender to him. God, I want to pray especially for my friends gathered here today who are going through tough times. I pray that they would draw close to you and that they would experience those moments when the ride, though bumpy, becomes momentarily joyful and they see your, your plan and your purposes for their lives behind it all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.